Hey, Driven Woman, I am Sophia Bryan, an estate planning law firm owner and financial advisor based in Kingston, Jamaica. My mission as host of the first Driven Woman podcast is to create a platform where women can one, own without apology that they are the architects of their reality. Two, engage in high-level conversations that support their growth in career, business, and personal life. And three, be inspired to define and refine their own markers of success. Get ready for another life-changing episode. Hey there, Driven Woman. I have another amazing guest for you today. She is an MBA, a certified financial planner. She teaches the link between a healthy relationship with money and a healthy life. She's also going to be taking us through some of the things we can do to build a multiple seven-figure net worth. So please make welcome my guest today, Hilary Hendershot. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. And how are you doing? Happy New Year. Mm, Happy New Year. And I I just want to say I'm so optimistic. I think it's time to really start putting some stakes in the ground about Mm -hmm. how you want to grow and expand the quality of your life. Definitely. Definitely. So Hilary, my favorite question, as I shared with you, is to learn a bit about your childhood. How did you grow up and how has it impacted the work that you're doing today? Mm-hmm. So I was born and raised in San Jose, California. So the mm-hmm. heart of Silicon Valley. And it's actually pretty rare because most people here are transplants. People mm. come here from all over the world to get jobs in technology and start and run software and technology firms that they want to scale and have an IPO. And here I work in finance Mm -hmm. and my husband works in finance. And so we have nothing to do with technology. We just consume it and use it. (laughs) Uh, So I'm just on the West coast of California. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I was open to leaving the area many times, for example, when I went to college, but I did, I ended up at a local university here. It's a Catholic Jesuit university called Santa Mm -hmm. Clara university, which you would have heard of if you follow soccer, but maybe not much else. Uh, And then I ended up living in San Francisco and then I kind of got right into my -hmm. field of financial services. And so, um, you know, I I was definitely envious of the people around me who were making millions and millions of dollars Mm -hmm. when I was sort of scraping to get by, but, you know, and maybe we'll get to more of these details along the course of the interview. But, you know, at this point I've I've definitely put my my own stake in the ground as far as becoming financially independent and financially free. And so now I just I just want to teach that and give it away. Mm-hmm. Nice. Thank you for that. So, uh, all right, let's get into the heart of it. What is your mission? Uh, what's the work that you're so passionate about and why are you so passionate about it? Yeah, my mission simply said is I want women to be rich. I, mm-hmm. I think, <laughs> and it's it it isn't about the money, Sophia, and you know that that that's not. There's no point in money. Money doesn't have any value in the sake of money, but money gives you freedom and choice and power and dignity and self-expression and money solves some very basic problems. And when I look out into the world and we're making huge strides as women, um, but I think, you know, wealth building is like the last frontier or bastion Mm -hmm. of feminism. It's like in order to truly be 
self-determined. You must have money in bank accounts in your own name. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that in terms of being self-empowered and being self-actualized and being confident and self-loving, you know, all of those things. But ultimately for me, that my mechanism to get there that I went deep, deep, deep and through the eye of the needle on is, uh, is money. And so that's Mm -hmm. what I'm, what's that? That's what I teach. Yeah. Uh, I remember listening to one of your podcasts. I forgot to mention in the interview that you are a podcaster, Profit Boss Radio. And I remember you were, I think it was either on the blog or in an episode, you were speaking about the fact that you were at this event where everyone was pretty much a financial planner or somebody working in finance at a high level. And uh, some someone saw you and, you know, they were asking you what you do and, you know, sort of suggesting that you couldn't possibly be in finance. And <laughs> you were suggesting that you felt as though it was, you know, they looked at your gender or your sex and thought, well, she must be an assistant to one of the guys here. Oh, they so, literally said that to me. They literally oh, said, who's, right. whose assistant are you? Oh, my right? God. Right. Right. And then one time I was wearing, I was at a conference wearing a badge and my firm name is my name. So it says Mm. Hillary Hendershot, Hendershot Wealth Management. And he says, whose firm do you work for? I said, (laughs) uh, my own. (laughs) So I brought that up because there are, as you said, there are still a lot of barriers where women and wealth building is concerned, but it's thought of as a man's domain. And I've read several books where uh, women who were born into money somehow felt as though it wasn't their job to manage their finances. And then when their husbands, you know, got them in a rut, that's when they realized that they needed to learn. So what advice do you have for women or what do you have to say to women that think that uh, finances is still a man's domain or their husband's domain, Um, Mm. especially when they're also contributing a significant portion of the family's wealth? Yeah, there, I mean, there are just so, so many stories, uh, whether, and, you know, it is said that you can leave a marriage by the three Ds, uh, death, Mm -hmm. desertion, or divorce. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's so many ways that women can find themselves figuratively holding the bag. I, Mm -hmm. I work currently with so many women who spent 10, 20 years just letting their husband handle the finances. And yes, in a relationship, we're all going to specialize, right? Yeah. Uh, my husband takes out the trash. I do more of the cooking. It's just like the way it turns out. But you need to know where the money is, how to mm-hmm. access it. And you need to make sure your money, your name is on those accounts, right? Yeah. Because you want to have access to it should your relationship with that person not continue to be fully what it is, whether they become incapable of speaking for themselves and they can't show up at the bank or, you know, things go wrong in your relationship. And um, I would just say, I mean, I sort of hate to use the stick and 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 say, oh, make you motivate you by fear. But as you know, as women, as mm-hmm. human beings, it just is so important for ourselves and our daughters and their daughters that we empower ourselves to know what is the financial situation. And you know, you don't have to know everything, but you yeah. definitely need to know where the accounts are, what are the passwords, about how much are we spending on a monthly basis, about mm-hmm. how much are we bringing in, and how much do we have saved pretty mm-hmm. basic questions but i would say 90 percent of people really can't answer those questions yeah yeah 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I was reading something recently about divorces. Um, interestingly, as soon as um, some of my previous clients, consulting clients, found out that I passed the bar, you know, they're asking me all these types of relationship type questions. And um, I was reading this blog and it spoke about the fiduciary duties that each partner has to their spouse in a marriage. Mm. And so I feel like if more of us thought of it as a fiduciary duty, like something that you're obligated to do by law, then maybe it would, uh, you know, cause a certain switch to flip in their minds that, hey, you you actually should know these things, you know. The law says so. <laughs> kind of a thing. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know that that law ever gets enforced. But <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, men have been managing the money for years. Let's take the reins, ladies. Mm-hmm, 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 definitely. Um, along your entrepreneurship journey, what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome? I think entrepreneurship is really a path of personal growth. Mm. And certainly uh, there's this phrase, what got you here won't get you there. Yes. And so yeah. every time you find yourself at an impasse, be that you don't know how to do a particular thing that you need to do to get new clients, or you have too much business and you have too much work and you can't mm-hmm. do it all, or you know, you have a, a person that you've hired that turns out to not be the right person and you don't want to deal with it. I mean, all of these things require personal growth. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would say the hardest thing that happened to me was what actually started my entrepreneurial journey, which was that I I had to leave the firm that I was mentored into the business by. And, and that firm was owned by my parents. So I sort of had to leave the nest and, uh, you know, they were very loving and supportive people. And I just wanted to be self-determined. I wanted to, I wanted to be the boss and Mm. that's, that's, that's it in a nutshell. And so I had to have that hard conversation. And I mean, I'm so proud of myself for having that conversation and, Mm -hmm. but it's emotional. I'm, I'm sad that it happened. Right. And, and yet I've been the happiest I've ever been since, since. So Mm. it, you know, business is business and family is family. And, um, and so to find ways to negotiate that dance, I think is, is the entrepreneur's journey because you can go, you know, you can go any, you you have to decide what your boundaries are and where you're going to be a human human and where you're going to be a business human. And it's always hard to be a business human Mm -hmm. when it hurts another human being. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So true. Many of my listeners, they're still, um, they're anticipating making that switch. However, again, because of the discomfort around conversations with money, uh, they may not be getting the best deal in the situation that they're in where they're working. So do you have any suggestions about how they can revisit that conversation around salary or Mm. um, what can they do if they are about to go into a renegotiation for salary? Mm. Okay. Well, sure. I I, I can certainly speak off the cuff and I will Mm -hmm. say that there are a few episodes of Profit Boss Radio Mm -hmm. that I've done totally dedicated to salary improvement and negotiation. So you should definitely go check those out if you're interested here in the United States. We we can no longer ask as employers, what was your last compensation? What wage did you make at your last job? Right? So you need to know 
you have some idea what your worth is. And then there's also this, there's also the art of being bold, right? You want to know what kind of compensation you want to command. And I'm thinking of someone who I've actually interviewed on Profit Boss Radio, who is a, a client. And so I've watched her journey and I interviewed her because she went from being an employee of the government to being a highly compensated private sector employee. And she Mm. about she about improved her salary by 500%. Wow. Yeah. And it really, it was because she was a demand for those kinds of increases. She said, I'm not going to be in the middle income category. I'm going to be at the top pay bracket Mm -hmm. of my industry. And, you know, it wasn't, it is not really about skill set. I'll tell you that she's not you know, the most, she doesn't run around like a a computer or Rolodex Mm -hmm. of data or information. Right. Um, and she's highly skilled, but I'm saying that the most important, the critical factor to determining your earnings is how you be about that negotiation. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the the worst place to be in a negotiation is the one who needs it more. So you always want to have some other opportunities. Um, but you know, I can relate it to, for example, in my own business, you know, I have a minimum fee that I work for and I didn't mm-hmm. always. It took me until I knew that I had enough money that I it was like kind of like I'm I'm only willing to go to work for this much and frankly, if you don't want to pay me that much, it's totally fine because I would mm-hmm. rather have my calendar free than work for less than that. Mm-hmm. You know, and you want to get yourself to that place emotionally. And if you're negotiating for a job, you know, you want to have, if you can, two or three backup offers that you can go to, Mm -hmm. or at least folks who are, you know, interested in pursuing you as an employee. Um, And, uh, you know, you want to have evidence. If you're a current employee, you want to be your biggest promoter. And, uh, you know, one structure that's really worked for me, Sophia, is that um, every week I have a weekly checklist that I go Mm -hmm. down. I do it on Thursday afternoons. And, you know, one of those things is get reviewing all the emails that I sent out, making requests of people. And so I follow up, hey, did you see this or following up? But then one thing that's on that checklist is I document my wins and losses. Mm. And I I actually recently changed it to wins and lessons. Mm, But I... (laughs) Reframing. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I let myself get braggy and then I take those brags and I make little notes about them and I say them to my clients in our meetings and I, and I, and I find graceful ways to do that, but it's like, you know, we did this, we won this award, we donated to this charity, we had a great client appreciation event. And I, I let myself promote myself because no one else is going to do it. There's no one else, right? (laughs) My husband loves me, but he's not popping into a client meeting and saying, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's not happening. And so, um, you know, just someone I recently uh, interviewed, her name is the Career Contessa. And I I think the book is called Power Career Moves or Career Mm -hmm. Power Moves. Um, It's a great book. And, you know, she recommends a whole host of these kinds of activities. There's little medium size and big power moves that you can make, but you know, the commitment to making little power moves on a daily basis is such a huge leverage point for you. I hope that answers your question. Definitely. um, Because that idea of dedicating an actual day in the week, because um, like I had to do a staff evaluation recently and it became very apparent to me that I needed to be my, my biggest cheerleader. 
because yeah. as much as you build a good rapport with your superiors, for uh, example, at the end of the day, you know, um, for some persons, it's not in their best interest to make you feel as though, oh, this is you're the employee of the year and we don't want to ever lose you and there's nothing you can improve, that sort of thing. So you have to go into that meeting or that evaluation knowing what value you are bringing to the table because they're not going to mention it. <laughs> or it's yeah, I mean, like... they might not even know, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, partially they're self-interested, but also partially they just don't know what you do eight, nine, yeah. 10 hours of yeah. the day. <laughs> yeah, that too, right, right, that too. Uh, so, you know, uh, many persons want to get to the state where they feel as though they're financially free. Uh, however, bumps come up along the road so how can we, uh, what steps can we take towards financial freedom while bearing in mind, um, you know, when life happens, that's mm-hmm. how we say, yeah. Um, well, so if you, if you were in my coaching program and you came to office hours, I would ask you specifically what came up, what happened mm-hmm. and how much is it going to cost and how can we plan for you to surmount that? Um, I would say the first step, so you, there, there is a time when you will, you will get to the place in your wealth building process where you know you can recover from anything because okay. you've put systems in place, you know how to move pieces around. But I would say the biggest thing you can do to protect yourself from bumps in the road is to automate your finances mm-hmm. and to build up that curveball account. And when I say curveball account, um, you know, as you said earlier, the word reframing, most people call that a an emergency account. Mm-hmm. But I invite you to be a person who doesn't have financial emergencies. Mm-hmm. Then that really is a decision. It takes some engineering, but I used to have financial emergencies. I used to find myself on the side of the road with a flat tire and no mm. money in my bank account. And that's just not a place I'm willing to be anymore. Mm-hmm. And so by automating your finances, what you do is you measure your overhead, your mm-hmm. all your subscription costs, your rent, your insurance, your memberships, and you pay those bills first when the money comes in. Mm-hmm. Then you save second then you spend last. <laughs> and, and, and when you manage your money this way, which is the opposite of what most people do, which is spend first and save last, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, let alone debting, right? Putting money on credit cards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you really have put yourself in a position where you're in command of your financial situation. I mean, I don't mind sharing that I've shared on my podcast. Um, in 2020, as a household, you know, we made uh, seven figures less than we made in 2019. Mm. That's a lot of money, right? Wow. And that there a lot happened wow. in 2020, right? Mm-hmm. But we were fine. I mean, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't feel awesome to say that. I would prefer to have the million dollars, yeah. but yeah. we also keep our expenses so low relative to our income that it was mm-hmm. like, well, that's a bummer. But we'll get it back in 2021. Yeah. You know, and so I think it, it really is a matter of you, you just can't live hand to mouth and to yeah. know what you're spending and to make sure that you're building up a cushion, a cash, a cushion of cash around yes. you. Yes, I love that. I want you to go back to when you just started your career um, and you may, may have had some college debt uh, or credit cards what were some of the things that you had to do to to climb yourself out of that 
situation. Oh, well, well, my situation is going to be about 10 times worse than most of the people listening. I was a financial train wreck. I had very bad money wiring. And this is how I made my discovery about the importance of what you say and believe about money that led Mm. me to give a TEDx talk about it, that led me to this entire platform and mission that I'm um, espousing. But I had tuition debt. I had credit card debt. I had leased a car and then Mm. I had borrowed a condo. I had borrowed money to buy a condo that I never should have bought. Uh, I had one of those mortgages. I don't know if you had them like this where you're from, but we had mortgages that you could um, pick a payment. They were literally called option arms or pick Mm -hmm. a pay. And so it would say, well, you can pay the fully amortized payment or you can pay less than that. And guess what? I paid less than that. And then every Mm -hmm. month your mortgage amount would actually go up. It was so financially irresponsible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. They actually have that option still in Jamaica. And I'm like, oh my God, why are they doing this to people? Why would I want my mortgage to balloon? Oh my God. (laughs) It's just, it's the worst outcome for people. And I, just didn't have the the wherewithal to say no to that. I would have borrowed any dollar that anyone would have loaned me is the mm-hmm. truth of it. So what did I have to do? I mean, I was spinning the plates of debt for a while. I, because of the financial crisis, everything came to a head. I found myself mm-hmm. with my credit cards maxed out and my bank accounts empty. And I literally walked that leased BMW back into the credit union's mm-hmm. office and said, this belongs to you, not me. <laughs> and, um, and I, a uh, few months, I, I actually went, lived on my mother's couch and rented out that condo. And then uh, f- soon enough, it was, it was actually foreclosed on. I, mm-hmm. I stopped making payments on it. I had to stop making payments on my credit card debt for a while. I was not in a place where I could live and pay the credit card mm-hmm. bills. Uh, but then, you know, they're magic. They know exactly when you've started making money again and they call yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I paid those off with integrity. But really what I did was I I just, I said to myself, look, I can see what my life is going to be like. This is my quality of life. If I continue to behave like this around money. And I said, I'm just going to undo this. I don't care what Mm -hmm. I have to do or who I have to admit or what. And so I'm just going to do everything different. And it literally started with whatever I, whatever was my natural inclination to do with money. I did the opposite. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I didn't buy a cup of coffee in a coffee shop for two years. I was, I became that disciplined about money. If you had called me up and said, let's go get a cocktail. And if my spending account was at zero, I would have said, well, either you're paying or I'm not going because Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I can pay. And you know, you, you, you want to catch me with money, catch me after payday on Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I used that system where I was saving first and spending second for long enough to get to a place where I did have flex flexibility and freedom. And then I started focusing on earning more. And that mm-hmm. you know, was how I got traction building my business. And now my business has recurring revenue and I've built this massively profitable business. And that's why the name of my podcast is profit boss radio, yes. because I want women to focus on profit. And if mm-hmm. you have a job, then your profit is what's left over after you spend, right? Yeah. Anything that's left over is your profit, whether it's mm-hmm. business or personal. And so I just, I became kind of a, I'm kind of like spiritual about money. And Mm -hmm. I know that's, that's more recovery than most of your listeners need or have to do (laughs) about money. (laughs) Um, But I also, like I said, I I mean, I really took myself to financial rock bottom. I literally had to leave my convertible BMW at the gas station and walk home because I couldn't afford a tank of gas. Wow. Yeah, it was bad. Wow. You've been through it. Wow. (laughs) 
I remember lessons learned. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I in Jamaica currently we do not have the. There's a serious amount of steps that you have to go to to um, automate your your savings. However, I actually had to set up savings accounts or things where you set a goal and then you have to transfer money to it. So I have to take that step of doing the transfer. But I remember looking at an account where it's it's the, the equivalent would be like $50 per month, right? Yeah. And to see the growth in that account, I was like, oh my God, if only I was I was doing this like, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago, um, you know, and building that momentum, it, it feels so good. And I realized that um, if I just made that extra step to put aside money before doing anything else, no matter how small it is, then it will grow and the momentum will, will build. So um, I can definitely attest to that system. <laughs> That's the magic Where, of automation. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. People mm-hmm. love it. Once they see it working like that, they call me and they mm-hmm. say, oh my gosh, this is magic. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't even miss it. You mentioned a book that you, um, you, you recommend earlier, but is there another book that you really love and think our listeners should read? I... Uh, so it's such a hard thing when someone says, what's your favorite book? Because obviously mm-hmm. there are, there are hundreds, but one that sticks out to me is called the big leap by mm. Gay Hendricks. Yeah. And this is a mindset book, but it, yeah. it's not just about affirmations. And I believe in things that work and the big leap is absolutely life altering. It's one of those that you want to kind of review in January mm-hmm. of every year, because yeah. wherever your mindset is, you can always take a big leap, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like that one. Awesome. And the big leap is actually one of my favorite books as well. Finding your zone of genius. Yes. Yes. It's, it's something that I constantly have to revisit mentally. Um, so investing is almost a buzz a buzzword these days. Uh, but for, for a lot of people, it just seems like something that's so hard. Uh, are there any fundamental steps that we can take towards uh, successfully investing as women? Uh, Yes. And let me start by saying that when you look at the returns produced by women, when they invest Mm -hmm. the natural way that they do versus men, the data tells us that women are actually naturally better investors than men. Mm. Reason being, unfortunately, by a bad cause, because we're afraid of the market, we buy something and we hold on to it, buy a mutual fund Mm. and just don't trade it. We just don't look at it, right? And that turns out to be a better investing mechanism than what men tend to do, which is buy and sell and buy and sell and buy and sell. They guess about what's going to happen in the future. But everything that we know about the the stock market says that the the near-term future in the stock market is completely unpredictable. But the Mm. long-term future is pretty predictable if you buy enough stocks and diversify well enough uh, you can earn a very solid return. And of course, as an investment advisor, I, I do have to say, don't take anything I'm saying as investment advice. Yes. I don't know you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know your timeline. Okay, so don't go buy anything based on this conversation. But I want to yeah. encourage you that there is a lot of science and research about good ways to invest. Okay. For the most part, when you hear people talk about investing, what they're talking about is guessing that one particular thing such as gold or Bitcoin or Tesla stock will shoot up in the near-term future. Mm -hmm. So that's actually not investing. That's actually speculating or gambling. Okay. Okay. And there's nothing wrong. You can speculate and gamble, but I, 
I, I put forth for your consideration that most of the people listening to your podcast are not really interested in speculating mm-hmm. or gambling. Yes. And so, you know, there just is, for the most part, I would say the investing question has already been answered. We yes. know how to consistently extract profits over the long run from the stock market. I would say the stock market is absolutely the best place for your money, despite the popular opinion about it. Uh, You know, the media is not invested in you having a long-term investment methodology that you are very peaceful and and confident about in your heart and soul, because then you wouldn't tune in and they wouldn't be able to sell more advertisements. Mm -hmm. So they're constantly screaming at you like chicken little, the sky is falling, right? When in reality, you know, the, the stock market for the most part, pretty consistently continues its skyward crawl. I mean, right now, the Dow, the S&P, uh, and the NASDAQ are at all-time highs, and the media mm-hmm. acts like that's newsworthy, like it's mm-hmm. rare, but it's yeah. not. That's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's all these gyrations in the middle that make people nervous, but if you can stick those out, you can earn solid returns. So mm-hmm. you know, I build investment portfolios for a living. Uh, There are also digital investment platforms that offer you good, solid portfolio construction. And when I say portfolio construction, I mean what stocks you own and how much of each Mm -hmm. stock you own. Uh, and so, and so there, there are, there are plenty of providers offering this kind of service, but Mm -hmm. but don't let yourself not invest. I mean, just this morning I had, and I have a a married client. She's in her late fifties. She's married to a man who, and she says he thinks, and he's really, really smart. And he thinks he knows more than all the investment managers. And okay. Okay. So she said, he's never going to invest his money with you. So we've been working for her for two years. And this morning she emailed me and she said, well, it's nice to talk to you. Some weird things happened during the pandemic. My husband lost $1.5 million. Look at that. Oh my God. (laughs) I said, he's not the smartest guy in the room anymore, is he? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. But you know, and the stock market is unforgiving. It'll do things like that to you if you take unjustified action. So if you can Mm -hmm. find an investment professional that that knows what they're doing and isn't going to gamble with your money, I would say you have every expectation of building consistent wealth in the stock market. And then there's time periods when you have to be willing to close your eyes. I mean, March of 2020, the stock market lost 35%. It wasn't easy. It's emotionally hard to watch that, Mm -hmm. but you have to know that it's going to come back. And it did. Yeah, definitely. Does that answer Uh, your question? Yes, of course. Uh, And, and um, I really want to, to dive into the, the concept of having money blocks, I kind of saved it for towards it to the tail end of our conversation because I, I'm thinking you might want to go deep into that. Mm. Um, but in terms of the conversations that we have to have with ourselves, um, our own money and breaking through these money blocks, uh, what do we need to do? Um, like for me personally, uh, I just thought that um, you know, based on where I'm from, you know, an inner city community and inner city means the same thing wherever you are in the world, somewhere you do not want to grow up, <laughs> um, a lot of negative things and, um, you know, an exposure to violence, uh, that you, you, you know, no person should really be exposed to or be in such close proximity to. And so I thought that, well, you know, based on the people that I see around me and the lifestyle that they're able to live, um, you know, I should just accept 
the bare minimum or um, success is not necessarily something for me and I can't command a certain amount of money. And different people have different stories. You know, people, some persons that were born into wealth, they have some amount of guilt associated with their wealth. Um, what, uh, go back a little bit into what you had to do to overcome some of those money blocks, because I'm sure you, you mentioned that you identified them with your spending habits, mm-hmm. but just, um, go a bit deeper for me if you can. Sure. So the first thing you want to, and you know, if you're listening to this, be looking at this through your own lens, because mm-hmm. you're going to have your own relationship to money. Yeah. But you want to understand that money actually has no nature, Mm. that money is made up by human beings. Money is just a conversation. It's agreement that we all agree to abide by, and it only works because we all abide by it. And all money is, is a a promise that you can exchange later for something that you value. That's it. Mm. Okay. Uh, Your cash is not money. Your credit cards are not money. In your bank account, there's not real money. Like money doesn't have any traits or characteristics. So, and that's very difficult for both children and adults Mm -hmm. to really grapple with. It's big, it's conceptual, like time. Time is another thing that's conceptual. Mm -hmm. You can never touch it. Right. And so um, as a child, you're sort of grappling with this money thing. What is this money thing? And you hear grownups say things like money doesn't grow on trees. There's never enough money. Mm -hmm. We can't afford that. Um, money is the root of all evil. Uh, oh, if you're good, the universe will provide or God will provide. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> um, and these beliefs, you sort of attach yourself to these beliefs. You just make them yours because mm-hmm. you can't figure out what this money thing is that mon- a, your adult, your adults around you are, are always talking about dealing with, grappling with, maybe fighting about. And so you start to believe in these superstitions about money mm-hmm. and, Um, I would say one of the more common ones is there's never enough money. That's what people refer to when they say, oh, she has a scarcity mindset. Uh, And that was mine. That was one of mine. And how I man, I was always a good earner. I mean, I got great grades in college. I got a great job. I was Mm -hmm. always, I was earning six figures within a couple Mm of years after college, but I spent it all because I had this belief that there's never enough money. So then, you know, your brain can't deal with, cognitive dissonance. So mm-hmm. when when a big paycheck would come into my checking account, I would look at it and I would be kind of in trouble because my belief that there's never enough money was in conflict because here I had plenty of money in my bank yeah. account. So then the only thing to do is spend massively more than what's mm-hmm. in the bank account, right? And that's why I used to say money burns a hole in my pocket. Um you know, I had all these beliefs about why I would never earn more money, even though it kept happening. Um, you'll, you're going to have an ecosystem of beliefs and superstitions that go with, partner with that core belief about money. They, they all support that core belief. And, you know, it can take a while to unwind this stuff. I mean, someone in my coaching program right now, he, when I asked him, what are the things that you say and believe about money? He couldn't answer me. And yet Mm. when someone asked him to watch a video where wealthy people were being interviewed at an event at the microphone, what he finally saw was how far 
from those people he felt he was, okay. how they were different than him, luckier than him, bigger than him, smarter than him, right? He, he finally let himself admit the chasm between him and those wealthy people and the behaviors that manifested in his life were, you know, there were years when he's earning $200,000 and he's spending every penny. Wow. Right. Because he's never going to be rich. He's always going to live hand to mouth because he has to keep himself really, really distant from mm-hmm. wealthy people. Yeah. And, you know, there's a there's a ton of examples of this. Uh, there's someone I coached one time. She saw that she and this is in the world before financial uh, electronic money transfers. So oh. she would get paid by check. So her check would show up in the mail and she felt really rich when the check was on her desk. She likes the check to be on her desk. It's just there on her desk. The money's not in her bank account, but she feels rich. And you have to recognize that we're all crazy about money. I have this part of my coaching program where I tell people, you have to really get honest about your money crazies because (laughs) (laughs) it's okay. It's okay. But feeling rich when a paper check is on your desk and not in your bank account, that's crazy. Right. (laughs) And, and I say that with all love and compassion. And then when she would send it to the bank, then of course the check was gone and she, she didn't feel rich. And so Mm. she saw that it was that time in between when the check arrived and the check, she would wait six, 10, nine, 12 months to, to deposit these checks. Right. So she was, yeah, she was making herself poor. Right. And so, and these kinds of behaviors, I mean, and they won't always be quite that crazy, except for sometimes I look at, at, you know, couples tend to fight about money. And so, you know, someone will be financially conservative and someone will be want to be more financially uh, risk-taking. But if you look at someone and I often meet, you know, it's typically husband and wife. And let's say husband has spent his whole life making and losing money and he makes mm-hmm. it and he loses it and he's got nothing to show for it. And wife, she wants to be more conservative. She wants him to save more. Yeah. And here he's arguing for his own financial tactics. He's like, no, we got to take risks. We got to mm-hmm. put the money out there. You can't earn money without spending money. And I say, let's look at your results because all I see is you've earned a million dollars in your 20 years of working and you have nothing to show for it. Mm. That's what I see, right? And so people never get real about what their financial habits produce. You know, uh, so there's this um, really grappling with what are the things that you say and believe about about money. And that really is your first job. If you want to alter your relationship with money, you have to catalog all of the things you say and think about money, really like write them down. Yeah. And that for most people, because we money isn't something we talk about very often, Mm -hmm. not, not the personal stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that really is, that's the first critical necessary step to altering your relationship with Mm -hmm. money and it may take some time right because uh you need to get conscious of the fact that there is something happening between yourself and this energy or this unseen thing (laughs) um called money uh and so maybe it will take a month for some people it may take a day because you know they speak so much about it but it's that consciousness and being honest with ourselves and then taking it from there. Yeah. Um, Thank you for sharing some of those stories because now I think we all feel, um, you know, we're justified in our crazy. (laughs) 
your crazy is there, it doesn't mean you're a bad person, but you got to admit the crazy. Yes, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things um, that I imagine that you are, you must be extremely focused um, or there must be some systems that you have in place to stay productive. Uh, what, do you, what systems do you have in place to stay on track with your goals? Mm. Oh, wow. Uh, I actually teach a whole class on this. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, so I'm very conscious and effective mm-hmm. about how I use my time. I, uh, everything that I do or promise that I'll do is on my calendar. Okay. And so my calendar runs me and, mm-hmm. you know, so I'll, right now I'm organizing my calendar for what's going to happen in two weeks and three weeks. But, uh, this week was all settled when I woke up Monday morning. Right. And, you know, there's emails that come in that can kind of upset that calendar, but I do have time worked in for, uh, things I couldn't have predicted. And so I use a couple of tools. I use, I use a multi folder system in my email client. Uh, I copy myself on every email that I send so I can Mm. follow up. So nothing's Mm -hmm. just out in the ether. If I request something from you, I have record of that. And I have a schedule to follow up on that. Um, I organize things by project and Mm -hmm. I I also use monday.com as a a project management. That's a, I think it's a competitor to like a sauna. I really like Monday. It works Mm -hmm. for me. Um, but we, uh, we are definitely loyal to both processes and procedures and uh, the calendar and email organization. And that along with periodic checklists, I took a class on time management one time or productivity uh, that really just helped me answer some questions I couldn't figure out the answers to. And it, what it did was it helped me put in some some procedures that happen on a weekly basis and a monthly basis. And whether that be, you know, the mask that you want to put on your face for skincare or Mm. whether that be, I need to make sure my voicemail box is empty. I need Mm -hmm. to, you know, go do that thing in the garage. I just couldn't figure out how to get those, those rhythmic things that need Mm -hmm. to get done. You know, the infrequent things that need to get done. Um, But I mean, I have everything down to change the filter in the coffee maker. Wow. (laughs) Nice. <laughs> I know people, <laughs> people pick up my phone and the, the, the home screen of my phone is organized by category. I have all my apps on one screen and they're all organized by category and people go, what is this? I said, I, I, I honestly don't know how you could live any other way. Like yeah. I have to have things organized. So. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah thanks for sharing that. Um, <laughs> so Hillary, what, what makes you happy? Uh, my four-year-old daughter, her mm-hmm. name is Harlan, and uh, every time she smiles, I just, yes. I feel like the most accomplished person on the planet, and I love a good conversation. I miss my friends. I miss mm-hmm. games nights. We do it on Zoom now, but I can't wait to have a six-person dinner party yes. or, you know, a couple people over to hang out and play billiards. Yeah. Um, just those stimulating conversations for me are... Mm-hmm what I just feel most alive. Yeah. Nice. What were some of the things that you had to do um, for your marriage to ensure that there is some semblance of balance there uh, between Mm -hmm. work and family time? Um, Let's see. Uh, First of all, I married the right guy. Yeah. (laughs) 
That's an important step. Yes. <laughs> taking your time in that regard. Yeah. It's like the most, I, I would say that choice is the most deterministic of what you're capable of in life and what the happiness that you'll have and someone who's right wrong for you isn't wrong for everyone it's uh-huh. just you know I, I'm a fairly unique personality so my husband is great and he's very smart and I love them smart and yeah. um, we uh, can be quiet together but we have date nights that we um, plan around so we have childcare already set up and there's not much to do during the pandemic but we yeah. send our nanny and our kid upstairs and we get the whole downstairs <laughs> to ourselves <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's like, you got to do what you got to do. Right. Yeah. Um, and we leave our child with our parents or with a, a, a friend for two or three nights. Sometimes we go away as a couple. I think I just, I couldn't do it any other way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love being with my daughter, but I'm it's, you're not fully an adult with your hanging yes. out with a four-year-old. Yes. <laughs> do, you, do you have kids? No, but I hope to um, yeah. soon. Yeah. <laughs> Biological clock is the it's constant. Yeah, the constant <laughs> reminder is there. Oh, it's the worst. Uh, yeah, I, uh, and I think that for me, there's the little practices of yeah. you know being doing what he wants when he wants to do mm-hmm. it, and when okay. it's not necessarily what I want. I mean, I'm just very committed to our happiness. I don't, yeah. I don't want to upset the apple cart. Right, it's very important to me, so I'm mm-hmm. willing to sacrifice. You know, when he leaves his hamburger pan on the stove and I'm like really really you couldn't just rinse it off. but I, I just do it I'm like okay I'll just do it it's fine <laughs> I'm He's sure there are a thousand things I do like that that he feels the same about okay I'm no angel is he is he listening to you right now or he's far away <laughs> no he's far away he's <laughs> um Uh, What is the number one tip that you would like to give women who are thinking about changing their lives, um, especially as it relates to handling their money? Mm. Uh, So um, it may sound, uh, so my, my number one tip is to automate your finances. And when you hear that, it might go right over your head. Like Mm -hmm. what, how could that be the number one tip? And it's one of these things that's like balance on a bicycle. I can tell you to put your hands on the handlebars and pedal your feet, but I cannot give you the experience of balance. Mm. But once you balance on a bicycle, you know, you can fly Mm. and automation really is like that. And if budgets aren't working for you and they don't work for 99.9% of people, frankly, uh, automation is absolutely an alternative to that. It's elegant, it's scalable, and I really wouldn't, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do or coach or be without it. So you go get your, go get your finances automated and you're off to a great start. Mm, thank you and there's, for that. I have whole episodes on my podcast dedicated to how to automate your finances. So mm-hmm. it's the resources yeah. are out there. And I feel like no, as I mean, I feel like no more um, that I'm more stable in my career I think a lot more of the lessons that I learned while listening to your show back, you know, when I was like 24, 25, um, they, they're more relevant now because I'm literally responsible for myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's so much I want to go back and revisit and, and I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of aha moments. Thank you. Yes. So my final question to you, Hillary, we've been chatting for almost an hour. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> right. So my last question to you is what keeps you driven? You know, I, I was just born this way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would love to say it's something external, but it's not. I'm so competitive and so driven and I'm just not happy if I'm not uh, facing or learning about some challenge. And uh, I just, uh, I, I love life. I'm a big yes to life. I want mm-hmm. to consume all that it has for me and I want to leave the world a better place. And yeah. I'm just, not, I'm not passive about that. Right. I, I get antsy when I'm just sitting around doing nothing. So it, it's just like Lady Gaga says, baby, I was born this way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's an awesome note to end on. Thank you so <laughs> much. Um, I really felt like you showed up fully for this conversation. Um, and I've, I'm grateful for that. Um, Thank you. So, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's mm-hmm. just, um, it's really harmonious and synergistic to show up and you know you've been listening to my podcast and have nice things to say and Mm -hmm. I I just really appreciate you doing and congratulations on your career success thank you so much as always it was our pleasure to bring this show to you today a free way to support our show is by leaving it a five-star rating and review on apple podcasts it's a chance to tell us what you love about the show and it helps others discover it too Until next time, stay driven.